Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Mr. Pronoia podcast. Today we got a great one ahead for you. It's one of the longer ones, which gave us a ton of time to hit on some really interesting topics. We start off by talking about keeping your heart open and the importance that lies in that. We hit on residing and surrender and what that feels like. Not feeding fear or uncertainty. How our thoughts affect reality and the wisdom found in the stillness. Join us in this discussion. We're back. What's up, buddy? How we feeling? Feeling good. And I know we bring it up a lot, but that uh, we do some breath work, some Wim Hof style, which I'm sure most people have heard about these days, but it's this in- intense, deep breaths for 35, 40 breaths. And then you, on the last breath, you just force it all out and you sit in that silence and that stillness for as long as you can and then you do a couple rounds of that and it is uh it gets you in a good headspace it always charges me up before we sit down and have these conversations it's a great primer before we hop in here and start doing this i've noticed that during those retention states after the 40 breaths or whatever you let it all out and you're holding i've noticed that's one of the more peaceful spots that i can get to where all the turbulence in my mind just comes to a halt and I have just a pure focus. It's also one of the rare times I've noticed, and that's what I can tell when I get to a still spot is my eyes. When you're looking up at the third eye spot up there, that's where I'm trying to focus on while I'm doing my breathing and stuff. And when I notice when I do the retentions, I can finally get that laser focus with my mm. eyes. Cause usually my eyes are doing the jittery when thoughts are coming in, they know they jitter with the thoughts, but yeah, I've noticed that's whenever I feel like, it's doing its job was whenever I can finally get my eyes to stay in that still spot. And then I can start to feel what that feels like. The eyes staying still is just a, it's just a good indicator of that it's working. But I've noticed that all those other feelings come in with it, that, that stillness, that peace. It's a good point. It's yeah, it's like the, it's like the mind follows the breath and then the eyes follow the mind. Mm. It's there's that, if you have, when you have that stillness of breath, the mind becomes still. And when the mind's still, your eyes become still, which is fascinating. You brought up, it is a funny thing to notice. Like the, your eyes, they are kind of, they kind of flicker when you're thinking, when your thoughts are jumping around, they're jumping around. And that, that's interesting that that stillness is, do you get a taste of it? Cause that's the essence of really yoga is the stilling of the mind. The Wim Hof guy talks about in the recording that we use, we kind of, we use a app that walks you through it, but he always talks about that. Like yoga is the silencing of the mental modifications of the mind. And then he says, when, yeah, when that happens, the seer appears, which is interesting because that retention place takes you there and gives you, even if it's for a minute or two, it shows you what it feels like to be absent of thought. And when you're absent of thought, it's almost all that's left is bliss. It's a very, it's a strange euphoric feeling. It really is, man. It's becoming one of my favorite things to to do, to include. I I think I've touched on it at least one podcast before already, but yeah, I have actually loved adding that in. I think that breath work, or at least the... I think the correlation between our breath and our thoughts should be taught in elementary school. This is something that should be in the human handbook that you get when you're born, essentially. That like, hey, 
If you're feeling anxious, check your breaths. Are they shallow and short breaths? If they are, start widening them up. Start mm -hmm. taking deep, full chest breaths. And you'll notice the tension in you subside with, whenever you start controlling your breathing like that. If you do, if you want to get energy and get juiced up, that's where the Wim Hof comes in, that holotropic breathing, the ins and outs real deep and fast that charges your energy up. Where if I want to go to sleep, I'll lay in bed and I'll do really slow breaths. They'll still be deep, but they're really slow and intentional. And I can see every time when I slow down my breaths and do really slow, intentional breaths, my thoughts will slow down too. And nine times out of 10, it helps me fall asleep if that's what I'm going to do. There is like a direct correlation, which is nice to have something physical that you can control. You can think about your breath and control the pace of it and for your mind to follow suit, that's a, it's a good tool to have in the arsenal in today's day and age. And I think meditation can be super complex if you go down the rabbit hole of like different techniques, but strip it away. It's just, you're following your breath. You're following one thing at a time and you can keep it simple. And the breath is just a perfect, it's just a per it's always with you. It's always there rolling in the background. And so to mess with it, whether like you're saying, slow it down when you need to chill out or ramp it up when you need a little extra energy, it's nice to know that. And the, I keep thinking back on the stillness of thought. It's fascinating because how that carries over into your everyday life. It's like, how long can we keep that, that, that space in between thoughts? How long can we stay in that space? And so it's like we get a taste of it through the through this method. It's to be able to do it more in your everyday life more often. It's imagine if you can have a whole day where you feel that kind of that blissful feeling. It'd be a nice day. <laughs> It'd be a great day. Yeah, I've noticed that I prefer to do that type of practice like in the mornings. And if I can go back and touch base like around like lunchtime and dinner as well. I've noticed that you can you fill your cup up in the morning when you do that. And then it seems like throughout the day, just so there's so much minutia going on and different things that take your attention away that I feel like it's sometimes I feel like I need to go check back in and, and do another round and then I'll fill my cup back up. But sometimes I can get in that part where I'm doing it three or four times a day. And those are fantastic days every time. <laughs> yeah. You just ride that wave or you ride the wave and then you catch a new one when you need to. Uh huh. So Matt, what's been on your mind this week? It's a good question. It's been a busier week, which is always fascinating too, to be able to balance the esoteric side of life with the practical, like your responsibilities and getting stuff done. And yeah, this week it's been a little more go. And so I feel like during these weeks, it's, it seems to be more about trying not to get too lost in that, in the duties and to be more present within them. Something else that comes to mind, especially after watching the movie on Netflix, The Jesus Revolution, yeah. that I ended up finishing that last night. And it was an inspiring show to watch, a higher vibe movie, which is rare, rarer these days. And what was inspiring, though, is it's, it's like a movie about Christianity in like the 70s. 
and I grew up Christian and I would still say that I align with Christian values and the teachings of Jesus, but maybe not in the more orthodox way of I don't go to an organized church. I'm usually not as much of a fan of the organized part of these things. But all that being said, this documentary, or it wasn't even a documentary, it was a movie, but it was based on a true story. And it was fascinating. They had that character, Lonnie, and he's just like this hippie in the 70s and just a very personable, charismatic dude that was just on the path, on the truth path. And I just, I go back and forth on these thoughts because there's this idea of the simplicity of that hippie lifestyle of just being. And I think like the 70s, the 60s, 70s hippie movement is like a perfect example of this idea of just being. And it's like this counter, this buck back to the go-go that we're involved in modern America, at least. And so I just, I don't know. I like this idea of just, I don't know, going on walks and just being totally present and having serendipitous conversations with people about like really deep things. And that documentary or not documentary that movie it restirred that that idea and just makes me made me makes me more conscious not get too just make sure that life doesn't get too busy because it's easy to for life it's one thing to go through little waves of busyness it's, that's inevitable but it's also very easy in our culture to yeah get lost in the busyness without even trying or without even realizing it over and over again i'm reminded on that the simplicity and how it seems like the most joy comes when things are simple and you strip back a lot of the just the the duties and i hate to say responsibilities because i think that there's a balance there and it's you don't want to run away from your responsibilities but at the same time you don't want to get you don't want to take on too many to where it bogs you down there's a specialness that comes with the freedom of just being able to be present and be able to be with the moment and i don't know that character of where he's just walking around or just talking to people about interesting stuff and like going deep and getting past the surface level conversation with, with strangers and how f fun that would be to do and to be able to connect with people and to have relationships at the absolute forefront to where that's what makes up most of your life and less of the just like duties and the overworking and stuff like that and I can continue to ream on this for a little while, but I want to hear what, what's coming to your mind with all this, Rex. Yeah, so I thought it was pretty interesting, the timing of the that I watched this movie as well, because we had just done a podcast where one of the conversations was how much of abundance there is of just dense media out there, like murder documentaries and just, just very dense topics and stuff on these movies a lot of gore and whatnot 
And then I go and flick on Netflix. I think it was that night, maybe the next day. And then I find this Jesus Revolution movie and watch it. And I was taken back a couple of times, just how positive it was. And Lonnie Frisbee was a great character. (laughs) And I admire that too, of just being able to break away from being a cog in the capitalist system and just, you know, being one with the earth and like you said, just leaning into relationships and not not taking life too seriously. And he was the embodiment of that was his character and the true hippie. One of the things that I thought was fascinating was the the way that he was denied by the Christian church because this Lonnie Frisbee, this granola character, ended up going into this Christian church and the congregation denied him in a sense because of how he looked. He wasn't wearing shoes in the congregation and he wasn't how they looked and he didn't act how they acted. And first thing that came to my head was, man, that's probably how we treat Jesus. If he came back today, like, where's your shoes? Get out of our church. Your feet are dirty. They're on our carpet. Like little things like that. I feel like a lot of our churches would probably react that way. I think that was pretty realistic. And that that struck a chord with me. I think that movie is good for anyone to watch. I think the traditional Christian churches, I think any Christian nowadays needs to watch that. And just to see how open that that church was to finally accepting him. And without spoiling it, because there's a lot more that unfolds there, I, I would recommend that everyone watch that movie. But just taking it back to the base of what Christianity is based on is like love and acceptance and not denying your neighbor because he looks different or maybe dresses different than you or that his hairs past his shoulders and you think that's not right for men to do that or what whatever judgments he was cast on. Yeah, the movie was very touching and I was really happy to see such a positive movie in the media and especially like i said the timing struck a chord with me as well on it yeah i think that's a beautiful to to see the example and i think that it's more prevalent for us because christianity is the dominant religion in america where we're at but I think it's that's the struggle with humanity in whatever religion you're in or whatever your philosophy is. It's this this putting people in a box automatically or it's not being open minded to someone else and how they interpret something and thinking that your way is right and your way is the only way to do something. And it's stripping that back and looking at the core message of things and so like for jesus it's all back to love i think he says that the most important thing which is like love this i guess verse but i guess someone basically asked jesus like what's the most important thing for lack of a better word and he says love god with all of your heart and soul and love your neighbor as yourself And so whatever your viewpoint on God is, that's basically saying love that force that binds us all together. And then it gives you a practical way to do it. And it's love your neighbor as yourself. That's what that looks like. And so it's a good reminder if if you're Christian or non-Christian when you're watching this to see. And I feel like because everyone can get better at that, at being more accepting and more tolerant and 
stripping away the dogma part of whatever philosophy or whatever religion you're in and really zoning in on what the important message is. And because it's so easy to get lost in the sauce with that. And especially if you're not critically thinking and meditating on what you're learning and what you're surrounding yourself with. And if you're just being a cog in the religious machine as well of any religious machine or any philosophy and not critically thinking, it's hard to know what the true message and deep message and core principles are. And so that was something else that came to mind with that is that's a perfect example of what that looks like and how to navigate that in everyday life. But I like that. I like the, the Lonnie or that just going back to that hippie thing. I think there's something to, at least I noticed myself and I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Like when things do get too busy or yeah, you get, you, you find yourself in with too many responsibilities or life's too hectic. It becomes harder to be totally present and with the people around you. And so like, I, I've talked to you a lot about this and I brought it up. It's like the, usually when I'm, so if I'm checking out at a grocery store or a cashier or I'm talking to a cashier or a stranger, I can usually tell where I'm at mentally by how I am treating that interaction. And it's hit or miss a lot of times. There'll be periods of my life where it's like the greatest moment ever. And I'm like, I feel totally present with that person. And I can feel the light between us. And I could feel like this moment special. And I'm giving this person my undivided attention. And it's just a very natural, organic flow. And then there's other times when it's doesn't feel it feels more forced it feel i can feel my mind split i could feel myself ready for the next thing it's i'm already thinking of, i'm not present i might be checking out but i'm thinking about how i'm gonna have to go to this other store after i leave here or that i need to get gas after this or thinking about what i need to eat for dinner and it's like the mind isn't being in that present state and i think that like me personally, I want to try my best to live in that state that that previous state that I mentioned is as much as possible. And so lots of times, usually when I'm feel off and not able to be as there with that person, it is usually when life has gotten hectic somehow. And there's there, there seems more on my plate or there's there's some kind of thing that I'm battling with and it, it takes me away from that. So I think that our lifestyle and the positions we put ourselves in life can contribute or take away from functioning in that place that we want to be in. And so that's a, another thing why I loop this back to admiring that hippie lifestyle and once again, the balance, because I don't know if it'd necessarily be good to just, I don't want to advocate just like dropping all your responsibilities. And I feel like you, there's got to be a way to do it in a balanced way where you're contributing in some way, you're pulling your weight in society, and but also you're maintaining that purity and that awareness in your interactions. And 
yeah, it's a daily thing that I'm on my mind. That's on my mind. That's a struggle in the sense to stay in that place. What are your, do you find yourself? Like, how do you handle that? What are your thoughts on that, Rex? Yeah, I resonate with that for sure. On, I relate it to keeping like an open heart whenever I'm coming across like the teller or anyone in public really. And, and I'm, debating on whether I'm going to have a conversation with them. It's a good gauge for myself too. I can see where I'm at. And I relate it to keeping your heart open. Or if I'm not feeling like talking to them, I'd rather just hand them my money and get it back and go. Then I'm feeling like my heart's pretty closed off at that point. And I've noticed there's a correlation with how much I'm focusing on my own growth and how my heart is open rather than if I've been watching YouTube videos and scrolling on my phone all day, and then I go and cross paths with someone in public, my heart's relatively more closed off. If I had just got done with a conversation with a friend for an hour or two, and then I go and run across that same person in public, I'm more likely having an open heart. So I've noticed that whether I'm willing to talk to someone and go that extra mile to make that relationship really depends on where I'm at personally, as far as like how much work I've been putting in on myself and what my day has looked like almost. And I would like to get past that to where it's just willpower. You're opening your heart. And if my knee jerk is just to not look them in the eyes and keep moving, then to buck against that and chin up and ask them how their day's doing. And that, that's something I've been working on, but I can't say I've fully embodied that just yet. Yeah, it's tough. But it's powerful to do, I think. I've had some really surprising conversations and I'm sure you have as well in those periods, which I like how you labeled it, those periods of having an open heart. And the other person can sense that. And it's surprising how much even a total stranger can open up to you in that moment when when they can feel that heart open. And I've had some really like, wild conversations with people in unexpected ways. Like I've had one that comes to mind. I don't remember what we were talking about, but I was at an airport talking to the rental car person that that gives you your rental car after you've landed. And I don't remember, but it was, I felt really good. I felt like I was in that state. I felt very present. And we were talking, I ended up talking to this lady for 10 minutes to where she's like showing me these pictures of this hike that she went on and she was telling me about this experience she had. And she's, wow, like, I don't even, I don't even know why I'm telling you all this. And, but like, that's special. I think that's special. And that's how we should treat every interaction with a stranger. And cause there's so many interesting, amazing people out there. And we have so many opportunities every single day. And it's like half the time, yeah, if we're closed off, we miss that opportunity. And I mean, there's everyone's I'm sure on that on that that gauge to where for some people they might be closed off ninety percent of the time. There's some people that may be open ninety percent of the time. But I think the world would be a better place the more people can stay in that open frame. If we had everyone staying in that open frame 80 or 90% of the time, that would be a very beautiful world to live in. It always takes me back how little of a push people need to go chase their dreams and really just dive into something new. Like they just need that like 
that little extra push of, man, you should really try that out. Or, oh, wow, those drawings are great, man. You don't do that professionally. One little comment like that can completely change someone's life. And I think we underestimate that value. There's multiple times, again, that, that come to mind that someone will say something a couple years. And they'll be like, man, you remember a couple years ago we were sitting around that campfire and you said this? And man, every since then I, I've started this new routine or I, I started doing this because of that. Or, or man, I haven't stopped th thinking about it since. I'm ready to take action or, or whatever the case is. I've had that happen so many times where honestly half the time I'm like, I said that? I don't remember saying that. But to them, it was so profound in the moment. And to me, it was just another hit fire, just talking, shooting the shit with the boys. I would like to think that divinity speaks through all of us, whether we know it or not. And you don't have to be tapped in or even feel like you have an open heart for divinity to speak through you. It's just being in that moment and having those conversations, things flow through us that we don't even recognize are coming through us. That is a good point. It can come from anywhere. And it's good for us to be, I guess that circles back also just being open, just being open to it becoming every, from anywhere. And that's one of the perks of not putting people in a box is because if you put someone in a box, you might close yourself off from hearing something that you need to hear that that could be very, it could, if it can come from anywhere, then you're really losing out if you start boxing people up because the people that you box up might be the people that surprise you the most. Then it reminds me of Jordan Peterson and his 12 rules for life. There's one of the rules, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but it was like, pretend that everyone you come across has something you can learn from them. Mm. And just going into that conversation, just assuming that they have information that you don't know, because it's a, it's easy to judge a book by its cover and just completely ignore the conversation, ignore a conversation or have that closed off heart. And I've, I've found more times than not, when you go against that knee jerk reaction and go into the conversation, you'll be taken back by some of the information they'll drop on you or just how a connection can happen within a few minutes. Totally. Cause every, everyone has these different life experiences. So it's, yeah, you really don't know. So you have everyone having these life experiences, but you also have what you were saying, divinity within that person, which has access to kind of anything and everything. And so you never know how God or the universe is going to use that person to tell you what you need to hear or to do something in a way that is contributing to, to your unfoldment and yeah, just being open to that leaves room for that stuff to happen. And so it all comes back to, yeah. Be, how do you try and stay open? Yeah. And I think that rule of thumb is just assuming that they have information that you don't have is a good way to go into any conversation. Yeah. It keeps the perspective. I'm circling back to your original question that of what's been on my mind that seems like this week that's been a common theme of just trying to sit in that place i think because it has been harder for me to be in at least over the past month i would say or past couple months with this big move, moving houses and all these moving pieces and house projects and it just always feels like there's something to be that needs to be done and this like endless to-do list i've felt yeah that it's been harder to have those moments with the cashier or with the stranger. And that's the, some of the most fulfilling, I've just correlated the most fulfilling periods of life are 
those periods that I can stay in that state. And I feel like I'm having those awesome conversations and I'm meeting new people because of it and just keeping an open heart all throughout my day. Those are like the highs in life. And yeah, so just like navigating those waters and practicing getting to that state despite having all these duties and responsibilities that seem to be pulling my mind in a hundred different directions. Yeah, it's almost like that's this is what you've been training for over the past few years and like now it's time to go into battle or it's this is the ceremony that you've been prepping for is to continue continue the practice through the hard times yeah and that's yeah i think we yeah we brought that up fairly recently it's the big jump too from yeah you can read about this stuff all day and you can learn about it and you can meditate over it but there there comes times in our lives when we yeah we're in the battlefield and it's applying and living the truths that are there and that are the way to live and it's yeah it's hard and i think it's supposed to be hard it's and that's part of what helps us grow and helps us evolve consciously yeah i would like to think when you keep rising to the occasion during these hard times when you are when you do decide to have that open heart with the cashier i would like to think that it just continues to get easier over time the next time you are really busy or you have some grief going on or what have you i think that hopefully that threshold of being able to get to the open heart is a little bit thinner. You can get to that spot a little bit easier. A hundred percent. And that's something that I've noticed too with, so we started this podcast a couple weeks ago. So we've done a few, three, this will be our fourth episode. And it's something that I've really grown a liking to. And it's something that we've talked about doing for a while. And it's been interesting that I've noticed that doing this too has opened up the heart despite all the other chaos going on. And so I think that's a testament to following your bliss and following the stuff that interests you. It can immunize yourself in a way from a lot of the chaoses in life outside of this and has residual effects beyond just the doing of the thing. Totally agree. One of the things I'm excited about with this podcast is soon we're going to be dropping a bulk of content for people and we're going to open up the socials and whatnot. And I know for me personally, I'm really excited to hear from all you guys and know what topics would you guys like to have addressed? Feel free to reach out and throw out any anything you guys would like to have discussed, whether that be a little bit of heated topics or just going to deeper on some breath work or, or whatever it is you guys want to address. I'm excited to get the audience involved in the podcast and help us co-create this thing. That's a great, the more minds that you can have on something contributing in a way it makes, it does make it special when you have that back and forth. Yeah. Cause we all have stuff that's on our mind and there's stuff that people are pulled towards more than others. But I think there's a wide range of stuff that we haven't touched on yet that I'm sure people would love to hear addressed. So we're willing to go wherever. For sure. And it just brings, it could bring new stuff to our awareness mm -hmm. of, oh, wow, that would be interesting to dive in on and get each other's takes on it. So that's exciting. Exactly. It really is. Yeah. Where's your mind at right now? Where are you mentally in the sense of, yeah, have you felt 
maybe looking at the past month, have you felt pretty open? Have you felt closed or have you felt more in the middle ground or yeah? I would say I'm feeling good. I'm feeling confident and focused. This podcast has been really excited and has given me something to chew on as far as like some excitement to go learn different topics and bring them to the airwaves here. But I also, I touched on, I think it was the last podcast, how I have a recent gut punch and it's with a new company that I started and there's been a little bit of hangups here and there and just with how it goes with the new company. But honestly, there's some uncertainty that I'm dealing with right now, just on where I want to take this thing. There's multiple different directions I can go. So I'm dealing with the uncertainty, but not giving it too much importance, not feeding it with fear or anxiety, but just acknowledging that there is a little bit of uncertainty there and being aware to answers that come through. And that come, that circles back to talking to random strangers or that's one of the reasons I'm really looking forward to going to Burning Man in a couple of weeks is because this uncertainty that I have on this new direction that I can take my time and focus, it's, yeah, it can be scary at times, but it's also very freeing and it opens up a ton of opportunities. And I think that there's no better place to go than Burning Man, to go into the complete unknown and throw myself out there to divinity and just, hey, whoever you need to cross my path, bring them to me. And there, there's a wild bunch out there. So I'm excited to see what the universe puts in my path. And I'm, I may come back with nothing. I don't have any expectations, but it's an exciting time for me with all the freedom that I have. There is some uncertainty, but I know that as long as I keep trying to do the best I can, making that next best decision, that the answer is going to unfold for me. And the reason that I have this freedom right now to take the direction of my life is for culminating into something bigger. And it may be starting this podcast. I don't completely discredit the fact that as soon as I have an open schedule, you and I are sitting here with microphones in front of our face. So then it may culminate into this may be it. And I'm having fun dumping a ton of energy and focus into this right now. But I'm also keeping my head on a swivel, just seeing what else is out there as well. Yeah, I think there's something special with being able to reside in that place of surrender. And it's a hard place to reside in because I feel like our egos always want to try and control the situation and it wants to know and it wants to have certainty and it it wants all these things. But when we are able to sit in that place, it's like the possibilities become endless because there's no, you're not putting any parameters on it and you become open in a way that you may not be open when you're not surrendered. Because if you're not like fully surrendered, then that means that you're, what would be the opposite of resisting? Yeah. Does that be the kind of opposite of surrender in a way? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so that automatically closes you off to some opportunities. And so this idea of, yeah, sometimes we're forced into that surrender state with, which can be a blessing because it's a hard state to enter manually. (laughs) Yeah. That's it's, it's, in this state, it's forcing me to go back to the basics of whenever I quit my job to begin with a few years ago and not feeding into that fear. That hasn't failed me ever in life. I'm always provided for. So just holding on to that faith and 
I would say the biggest thing right now is just staying strong in the confidence that not letting that fear creep in. Because I, w- I feel like with uncertainty, if your mind tries to go against the unknown and tries to connect dots where you can't see them yet, it starts building up into anxiety or fear rather than just I'm here right now doing the best I can and the ends will meet at some point. Yeah, I think that's a good mindset to have and that's a, that element of faith and trust that comes with surrender that is almost necessary for it because yeah, without it, you can't really surrender. And I think that's also the, this feeling of uncertainty. It's a feeling that a lot of people, even outside of your current situation that you're talking about, I think just people that even have stable jobs right now, it's the world is in an uncertain place. I think with technology moving so quickly, it's and the internet and stuff rapidly progressing that creates a feeling of uncertainty. And with it, fear can creep in unconsciously. And I think that fear is a funny thing because it's very subtle and it can creep up and our ego can try to convince ourselves that we're, yeah, we're not, I'm not scared. I'm not, I can't, but then your emotions might feel otherwise and you might feel the fear. You might really be suffering from a fearful emotion, but have yourself convinced that you're not. So that's why the the subtleties of it, which is even more, I think is even worse because then you're feeling that and you're feeling that low energy that comes with the fear without even realizing it, that it's fear. And I think that could be a reason why like anxiety is so high right now, culturally, or depression, or all these other mental illnesses that seem to be rapidly progressing. And with that, how valuable being aware of surrendering and being aware of the power of faith, how that becomes that much more important as antidotes for yeah, those feelings that seem to be prevalent. I know I'm sure you know a lot of people that may be struggling with that and you just see it in the you see it throughout culture. And so it's yeah, interesting to think about. It seems like with every decision we make, there's a scale. And on that scale, on the beach polar end of that is love and fear. And it seems like every decision that we make through life is somewhere on that scale. And it seems to hold true that every decision you make in fear calls in more fear. And that's something I've noticed throughout my life. And I would like to think the opposite is true. Every decision made in love calls in more love as well. But I've noticed that making decisions in fear never turns out good. And that's always, for me, when I'm making a big decision, is to step back a little bit. And that's the first thing I ask myself is, where is this decision coming from? Checking in with my gut. Am I scared right now? Am I making a knee-jerk reaction because I am projecting lack or not being accepted or whatever the scenario is that I might be fearful of checking in and seeing if that's the priority reason I'm making decision, I need to go back to the basics and start reevaluating the whole thing. That's beautiful. Yeah. That having that self-awareness and that space 
within your thoughts to be able to even recognize that and to ask yourself those questions, I think is so important. That also circles back to just the value of some kind of meditative practice, some kind of, whether it's mindfulness, whether it's focusing on your breath, like something that disconnects you from identifying with your thoughts. Because when we're identified with our thoughts, we can get lost in them and we start to think that we are our thoughts. And if you start to think that you are your thoughts, then there's not, there's no space there to be able to kind of realign, like you're saying, to step back and to realize, is this the road I want to go down? Is this the, is this, am I making this decision from the right place? And those are important things to reflect on versus, yeah, being unconscious and being asleep and just making impulsive decisions. Yeah, I I was talking about as kids, we should be taught how to control our breath, the human handbook that we should be given. That should be one of the first chapters. And I think that another one should be, we should be taught as kids how to just sit with ourselves in silence. I can't remember as a kid if I was ever told to just sit down. I may have gotten in trouble and go stare at the corner, but I wasn't told, close your eyes, try to subside your thoughts and focus on your breath and trying to teach us how to get that laser focus. I think a lot of kids today could benefit from that. We talk about having this ADHD epidemic. It's everywhere. And you would think that's because your thoughts are turbulent and they're coming at a rapid pace. And you would think the counter action to that would be to sit down and try to slow them down rather than a pill. Yeah. You would think that would be the rather first thing we want to try. Yeah. Rather than meth, <laughs> you think we would tell them to go sit with themselves for a few minutes. It's a great point. And that's something that I've meditated on a lot about this idea of ADHD. And that was the conclusion I came with as well. It's almost, and yeah, like there, there's some, there might be some children that need it, need that are further, that have those rapid thoughts more than the next. But it's, I think of meditation is almost like lifting weights for with our, for our attention muscle. And so like with meditation is almost training yourself to focus on one thing at a time. So it's like you're focusing on your breath. You're focusing on watching, like if it's the form of mi- mindfulness, it's like you're watching one thought pass at a time. You're really zoning in your attention and you're building up that muscle. Like anything, it's a muscle. It's like the more you practice it, the better you get at it. And so with ADHD, it's feel like something tells me that it's just, oh, it's a weak attention muscle. And it's, and if you had a weak attention muscle, it makes sense that your mind would be jumping around left and right. If you've never trained it before, if you've never really, it'd be like lifting weight. If you've never lifted a weight before in your life or done anything close and you try to squat even just like 135 pounds, just like 45s on the bar. Like it's going to be pretty hard because you haven't really developed those muscles. And yeah, it seems like a much better approach, at least to start before giving someone some like serious drugs. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. There's a lot of people that are my age that have trouble sitting with themselves. Like I have a deprivation tank here at the house and I I told one of my buddies that I had it. 
I was like, man, you gotta come check this out. You gotta get in this thing. And he's like, there's no way, man. I'm not getting in that thing. I gotta be with my own thoughts in a, a dark, silent box. And he was like, that sounds terrifying. And to me, it just struck me so weird. Are you hearing yourself right now? You don't wanna go spend time with yourself because you're afraid of your own thoughts. And compassion to him, he's, he's a good friend and I love him, but compassion because that's a terrible spot to be in. And in fact, I told him more so, you need to get your ass in there, <laughs> you know? You, you especially. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna lock it the door while you're in there. <laughs> <laughs> but it just goes to show that some people have just almost resigned to the thought of sitting with their own thoughts and deciphering through them what's healthy and what's not, but just go ahead and throw it all in the wastebasket of, I'm just not even gonna sit with my thoughts anymore. It's, it brings me back to one of those like, wherever you go, there you are. And if you're running from your thoughts, man, you're gonna get tired. That's an endless chase. It's gonna catch you eventually. It's like, you can't run from yourself forever. There's gonna be some kind of something that forces it. And cause when, the way I kind of picture that is like when you're, if you're not if you're cut off from yourself, you're almost cut off from that higher source, that, that energy is I've noticed that in the stillness, that's where all the answers come. It's almost, I really like the, there's a, I don't know, I guess a metaphor, maybe a metaphor, just like an imagery of a glass of water with like dirt in it. And it's like, you stir it up. It's, you can't really see through the glass, but if you just sit it on a table and just let it sit there for five minutes, and don't mess with it. All the dirt settles to the bottom and you could just look right through the glass and it's crystal clear. And I think our minds work that way as well. And so when we're able just to sit in the silence, in the stillness, then all that dirt in our mind starts to settle. And as it settles, things become more clear and you start to just know. It's like this difference between thinking something out and just knowing. And knowing is a much more powerful place to, to get information from because you, it's just, and knowing happens in an instant. And so for me, lots of times when I am, when life is hectic and I am, it does seem like I'm being more busy, I have to take, if I don't take time for that stillness, then I will really feel out of whack and I'll be, I'll feel confused. I won't feel, I won't feel like I know what I should do. And, but the law, if I go in and give that dirt time to settle, then clarity comes and there, I feel like there's a still small voice within us all. And that still small voice is always whispering directions to us. And if we're not quiet enough to hear or still enough to see, then those whispers go unnoticed. And it's just a valuable resource to neglect because it's always there and we all have access to it. Exactly. I feel like there, there's a lot of times for me, I'll be doing some problem solving, whether it's just in life or these different softwares that I work with. And sometimes I'll be working on an issue for hours and I'll get to the point where I'm just so frustrated with it and I'll be like, all right, I'm going to take a break and I'll go downstairs and I'll just sit in silence, maybe do a round of whim or just sit there in silence. And I've noticed that the answers will just creep in. It's just something just slips in and it's usually in the form of 
hey, have you tried it this way yet? And I, I won't even be intentionally thinking about the issue anymore. I'll be more trying to do a meditation or just clear my thought, just trying to get away from the problem for a second. But it's just one little thought will slip in. It's, oh, you tried all those, but I don't think you tried this exact way though, have you? And it's not, for me, it's usually, it's not like I know that's the answer, but it's, oh, I'm excited to go try this now. Let's go back at this. Like re-inspired. Yeah, exactly. Got, that spark is then flamed a little bit. For sure. And I try to keep that in mind because I've noticed there's a lot of times where before I'll take that break, I'll get to a frustrated point. And it's, I know the answer I'm looking for is right in front of my face, but I cannot see it. I don't know if you felt like that before, but you just know it's right there in front of you. But it's like you just, the dirt has been stirred in the glass so much that you can't even tell how deep it is in a mm -hmm. sense. But yeah, it's always interesting taking that little bit of space. And also pretty sure it was Tesla. I heard that one of his tactics he used to do to come up with these ideas was he would sit laid back in a chair, leaned back and have two metal balls in his hands. I've heard people say metal keys as well, just holding keys, but either way, they had something in his hand. And as soon as he would fall asleep and finally nod off, his hand would drop the ball or drop the keys and hit the floor and it'd wake him up. And he would immediately lean up and start writing whatever he was thinking about, whatever mm. was coming to his mind. I think there is something special about like, getting away from the problem and just allowing the unknown to send downloads or energy or what have you. But also we're in that theta state and that's apparently where a lot of the times we go with like psychedelics and we're taking theogens and stuff like that. We're going into this theta state that seems to make you more prone to the metaphysical. I don't know how you would word that, but it brings in some other stuff. Yeah. It makes you a little more open in a way that yeah maybe the conscious mind can't can't be which is interesting it reminds me also of so the russells talk about this balance of concentration and decentration and how we have to it's part of that rhythmic balance interchange we have to interchange between the two and so when we're focusing on a problem or we're hitting a wall it's usually because we've gone too far in one direction so if we've concentrated too much then we have to balance that out with decentration, which is more of that loopy. It's like you're getting away from it. You're resting. It's if you were, it'd be like squeezing a fist as hard as you can, and you can only do it for so long. Eventually, you got to let that fist go. And yeah. or it'd be like if you're taking an in breath, you can only take so you can only take so much air in before you have to take an out breath in order to be able to take another in-breath. It's there, it's, there's a constant interchange going there. With everything. With absolutely everything. And it's so easy to get out of balance in one. You could easily also go the other route, which is, yeah, if you're not, if you are staying too far in the decentrated where you're not getting anything done, then you're gonna feel off. You're gonna feel like you're not contributing. You're not, you're not creating, you're not, and it's gonna feel stale. I think that's where depression comes in a lot of times. It's just people have too much decentration and not enough. I and This is the first time I've worded it like that. To me, I usually always put it like there's no growth happening. But I feel like as humans, we touched on last podcast, we're meant to evolve, spiritually evolve, physically evolve. And I feel like if we're not feeding that, if we're not helping the evolution, 
There's stuff that starts to go off kilter inside of us, whether that's brain chemicals or there's probably different variables that cause it to be different people. But I've noticed that a lot of times when people are depressed, you ask them, what does your daily habits look like? They're usually almost never there's exercise in there, which is the first one. I know a lot of people, that's probably a broken record. You, you tell people you're depressed. They say, are you going to the gym? That's for a damn good reason, too, that people ask that. The second one is, do you have any type of spiritual practice? I feel like you can go into nihilism pretty easy without seeing a bigger picture in the world. And I feel like those are the two things. But getting back to the growth thing, I feel like that's the main culmination to where people start to feel depressed is because they're not working on themselves and they're not trying to grow. Yeah, those are great points. And I think that with big pharma having such a grip on things and controlling the narrative in a lot of ways, it's like you can't even really talk about that. And you can't even talk about that to the people that are depressed because they've been fed this one-sided idea that it's, no, you were born like that. You were born with a chemical imbalance and you need this little guy right here forever to fix it. So that's like the, when you really strip it back, that is like the, that is the capitalist dream right there to have a product that you've convinced someone that they have to have a normal life. And it's a product that has like a thousand percent markup on what it costs. It's like, Jesus, no wonder these are bohemists. Yeah. And if you're talking about SSRIs, they're very questionable if they even work. Yeah. Also. Yeah. The data, if you really strip back the data and look at it, I've known people, my, my dad, had been on them for a long time and I had never it's always yeah you know this I got on this new one and it works great and then a few months go by and it's like the body reaches homeostasis and just doesn't work anymore yeah and it's just the same old thing over and over another main thing I would recommend to people that are feeling depressed or just need a whole reset in perspective is psychedelics and Specific, specifically mushrooms, that's the number one. But there's other good ones out there, but that's the one I'll stick with for now. But the interesting thing is, the reason I bring that up is because they say don't take them with SSRIs. And I've been around multiple people who've taken psychedelics on SSRIs and they don't affect them at all. Completely stone sober. Everyone else in the group's tripping balls, but they're completely stone sober because wow. they're taking SSRIs. That's wild. Isn't that pretty so wild? It cancels it out. Yeah, which is arguably one of the bigger things to help depression. Yeah. That's, and more, one of the more natural ways as well. Yeah. And But yeah, it's like you have this, so yeah, this idea. And, it's, and you also have big pharma that's influencing the curriculum for the doctors and the therapists that are prescribing this stuff. And so it's a weird kind of entanglement there. But it's, yeah, it's like when you're depressed, like use that as a sign. I think that we all fall into, there's a difference, I think, between just being depressed and being like chronically depressed. I think we all have felt depression at some point. And I think the healthy way is use that as an indicator. It's like, there's a reason, like depression is just it's a bad feeling, but it's there for us to take stock and take notes. It's maybe I'm doing something right now that I shouldn't be doing. And maybe that's making me feel bad. And I label it as depression because I don't know what it is. And so, yeah, this idea that you can go in and just go to the doctor and get some pills and numb you, it's you're not correcting the underlying thing. 
It's yeah. like something that's making you feel that way. And circling back to what you were talking about, going into the still and stillness and just being with yourself, lots of times it'll become evident. Maybe you're not living up to your potential. Maybe you're not following the dream that you want to follow. Maybe you are treating someone in your life badly and you're not realizing it. And so that's making you feel bad. Or may- There's a million different things and it's different for everyone. But there said- is. Yeah. There is a million different things that's different for everyone. But Jordan Peterson says, and I totally agree with this, that if you sit down on your bed and you ask myself, what am I doing right now that's screwing up my life? You'll get that answer. It will come to you very clearly and quick. And in fact, you probably already know, but go ahead and ask yourself if you feel like you need to. I feel like we all know what we're doing wrong. If it's going against our true nature, if it's making us feel more dense, we know what we're doing. People are not that ignorant. It's a good point. And it's like the hard, yeah. So maybe the hard part isn't knowing, the hard part is like changing it. Yeah. And stop doing Making that the stuff. change is the difficult part. I think we can all subscribe to that. Yeah. It's, I mean, change is hard for anyone at all levels. And it's even the most basic things. Just change up your routine a little bit tomorrow and you'll see how hard it is. It's Mm -hmm. like we're definitely creatures of habit and that extends to everything we do. It extends to our thought processes. It extends, yeah, to, to everything about our lives. And so to think that we have to do something differently, it's not an easy, you can talk about pills to swallow. That's a tough one. That's one of the things I really like about RFK as well is that first off, he's calling out Big Pharma for what they are. But second of all, he's talking about restoring health to America. And he specifically says that's not through taking a pill. That's through taking responsibility and through eating good and through exercise, like back to the things that we all know are sustainable and that truly work. This that we've been through with big pharma over the past couple decades, we're more sick than ever. Well, clearly it's not working. It's not working at all. And in fact, it's probably doing the opposite, but they're lining their pockets over there. In the meantime, at our own expense, we just got out of an opioid epidemic and we just got out of a vaccine thing that they did, whatever you want to call that. <laughs> so it's becoming more and more obvious that they are that they don't have our best interest in mind and people are waking up to that. It is interesting that we're one of the only two countries that allow pharmaceutical commercials. And that's another good thing with RFK. He's saying he's wanting to stop that. There, there's people out there that are speaking out against it. And I think that those people that are speaking out against big pharma need to be listened to right now because there's a lot of stuff that's being swept under the rug and there's a lot of capture and money that's making sure the narrative stays on point. The good thing is the truth always reveals itself. So we can rest easy in that. It's just a matter of time. But I am glad to see that a lot of friends that were pushed into the fear camp during the whole pandemic have circled back around and they've realized in with hindsight that we weren't told the whole truth and hey if they're lying about that what else are they lying about so i think we're in a point right now where people are searching to see how much we've been lied to and how much of that whole thing was a facade and how much if at all can we trust big pharma going forward yeah. It seems like anything when there's that much money involved, there's 
that becomes the priority there. That becomes the decider and what's a good decision from their point of view. Because you have structures built up that are that massive. It's hard to have people's best interest in mind and then also make that much profit. <laughs> I think if you ask anyone <clears throat> before the pandemic, who do you least trust? What entity do you trust the least? They would say Big Pharma and the government. It would probably be the two I know that I would say, and then probably 99% of the people I know would say. Like as far as like entities, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Who do you not trust the most before the pandemic? During the pandemic, you would have got a lot of different answers. And I think the reason for that is, is because they peddled fear in a PSYOP degree that we've never seen before. A military size operation PSYOP on their own people that if you go back and you look at the receipts, there was deceit from day one. Their story never lined up. In fact, they started changing their story from day one. And it's interesting where we are now that, like I said, a lot of people have come to the realization of that. And I think that people would be a little bit more cautious on where they put their faith from now on. And getting back to that first point, I think if you ask people again today, what two entities do you least trust the most? I would like to think that we collectively have gotten back on big pharma and the government. I saw a stat the other day that said that the government trust is at an all time low and it's down to 22% of people trust the government. And who the hell they are, I don't even know. I haven't <laughs> met one of them, but there are apparently some people out there that still trust the government. But yeah, it's in a sense, it's sad that we've gotten to that point, but also it's beautiful that we've got to a point where we can collectively realize that, hey, there is some change we need to happen here. And again, bringing up someone like RFK, I have never had hope in politics my whole life. And in fact, the opposite. I've always thought they were full of crap and deceitful and spineless people. For the first time in my life, I'm feeling hopeful for a candidate. It's someone who has radical integrity is concerned about their health and seems like a genuinely really good person that I have never got the feel from a politician before. So hearing RFK come out and talking about how Big Pharma really was deceitful during it all and having someone that has a spine that's willing to stand up and say, hey, you guys were wronged. I'm just letting you know and here's the receipts to show it. And Finally, someone with character and, like I said, integrity is standing up there and we have an option to elect this person to be a leader. In my whole life, I've never had a president or even a candidate that I could look at and be like, damn, I wish I could be more like that person. Look how they carry themselves, man. What a guy. I've never even felt close to that. A lot of people still haven't even heard of RFK because the media has made a pact there, there's some bipartisan things that across the aisle they can agree on. And one of them is not letting someone with integrity up there who's going to shake the whole system. And that's RFK. The, <clears throat> excuse me, the mainstream media has made a pact amongst themselves not to platform this guy. Do not let him get up there and speak it. Because the thing is, when he starts be speaking truth, we resonate with it. That's just how we are. We're human beings. We're vibrational creatures. And when we start hearing truth, we want to go towards it. We want to amplify it. And they know that. This guy is here to shake the whole system. And again, if you haven't heard of RFK, I would highly recommend it. 
he is actually one of the ones that's been running on a podcast platform. And that's because the mainstream won't platform him at all. They're saying that they don't want to amplify misinformation or disinformation, which is disinformation just means it's inconvenient for the government. Inconvenient information. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But especially at the time we're living in when podcasts, you have this form, this medium of being able to exchange ideas and information in a way that 20 years ago didn't really exist. And it's just every, anyone that has really a phone can start a podcast. Like you really don't need much and you have access to the world. And as we see more people getting on, expressing their voices and building up a community around their ideas, it is going to be interesting to see how that changes the world we live in as these mega powerful entities like these, just the mega media companies now have, they have some competition in the form of this decentralized medium of a podcast that can't really be controlled. It's, it's just a, basically a person with a giant microphone. And it's like, what are you going to do when we have millions and millions of people with giant microphones that are speaking their truth? And what you were talking about is if their truth resonates with people, then people like real recognizes real. And that's an exciting time to be alive and to be a part of and to see what happens in this new, this new wave that the internet continues to bring us. Yeah. It's perfect timing too, because we're starting to see censorship ramped up and that's, there's starting to be more proof that's a thing. We're starting to see that the government has these alphabet organizations. They have government employees embedded in Facebook, Instagram. It was Twitter, like the Twitter files is one of the ones that blew that door off that whole thing and made it apparent to us that, hey, the CIA and the FBI are actually employed over at Twitter or were before Twitter got bought by Elon. But it... I don't think any of us really knew to the extent of what the censorship was going on. During the height of the pandemic, it was pretty obvious that if you said anything counter to the narrative, you would get banned. At the very least, they would shadow ban you or just silence it. But they were banning people left and right. You're talking about like Robert Malone. He owns nine patents for mRNA, for the mRNA, and he was one of the developers of it. They shut him down and we're acting like he's some quack. It's like, dude, he's the one that whipped this whole yam up. What are you talking about? But it, it's things like that. But so anyway, the reason I was bringing that up is because it's very interesting. The irony of the timing that podcasts are starting to blow up and it is a decentralized media. And it doesn't seem like there's any centralized point to censor podcasts. So I can imagine that the people that are up there that are pushing censorship do not like podcasting and it, for the good of humanity thank god that we have it because it's like i said you have people that are speaking their truth just as loud as they can out of their chest like rfk that if we didn't have podcasting i don't even know if he would even be a name that i would even be aware of myself or really anyone he probably wouldn't even be able to run right now so podcasting is coming at a very ironic time whenever we need it and also 
I wanted to touch on the censorship thing because it is a thing that is starting to become partisan to where you're starting to see the left push censorship. And I don't, I say the left isn't like the higher up in like DC and these like hearings that we're seeing. It is the left that is pushing the censorship. I just don't see the light at the end of that tunnel. Censorship has never been pushed by the good people in history ever. And if anyone has an example of good people censoring, please send it over. I would love to be wrong about it. It's so short-sighted to me to think that you can go and censor people and that the tide is not going to turn. You think this pendulum is not going to swing and then in five or 10 years, you're not going to be censored because you're saying something whenever there's a new president that's not fitting your narrative anymore. It's, it's so extremely short-sighted to me. Don't see even a glimpse of logical thought behind it. America, we have freedom and that is at the crux of it is free speech. If we take away free speech, that is the land that we ran from to start America. We will go right back there. So anyone that is backing up censorship, the only thing that you can combat misinformation with is more information. When you try to shut down information, it actually amplifies that voice. It's called the Streisand effect. People want to know why you're telling them to shut up. What are they saying that's so bad? If I hear someone being censored, I'm like, what'd they say? <laughs> let me let me go see myself. Huh? Like the banned book thing. Yeah. Exactly. What books you banning? I yeah. Wanna, I want to check those yeah, out. Let me go see for myself. Oh, quick. yeah. <laughs> kind of like that inner bad boy in you, huh? <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, this the censorship thing has been a little heavy on me lately just because it's, I just don't see how that could benefit the collective at all. There's people who say hateful stuff. There's people who say stuff that may put other people in danger, but at the end of the day, you just have to trust that at our own discretion, we'll come to the best decision we can. You have to trust that your neighbors are well-educated and can cipher through the information to make the best decision for themselves. To censor tells me that you think that you're the smartest one in the room and that these other idiots can't make decisions for themselves because it's, yeah, you just think that other people can't make decisions for themselves. So I'll decide what you can hear and what you can't. That way you just stayed right on track, buddy. <laughs> Imagine on a small scale. Imagine if you're in a group of 10 people and yeah, you were in an open discussion with 10, say like your neighborhood. So there's the 10 people that live on your neighborhood or on, on your road and you're having a discussion between them about anything. It's like, when would it ever be good to like completely silence one of your neighbors from being able to voice their opinion? It's like, they're on your road. Like they're rel like it's relevant to hear what they have to say. And so you see it on a small scale, how it doesn't make sense to, or even just like a friend group, you have a group of four friends and you guys are just talking, you're just shooting it and to, yeah, cut one of your friends off and not let them even be heard. Just seems on a small scale, you see how like wrong that would be and how it wouldn't really make much sense. It's like they're, everyone's opinion should be relevant and the other three friends can decide if they want to dump that opinion or not. But right. to be like cutting the microphone on that person yeah, there's nothing really can become good of that. Let's say getting back to that idea lab versus the echo chamber. It's if you're not attached to your ideas, then you can just throw them up and your friends will either accept them or they'll swat them out of your 
say that's ridiculous. But in an echo chamber, it's in complete opposite. You're not allowed. You're attached to your ideas and they are your identity. So anything you bring up, if you shut down my idea, you're shutting me down. And I take that offensively. Whereas we got to find this middle ground and hopefully more towards the idea lab before we just all start getting offended and holding our identity to these ideas that really there's so much ambiguity in a lot of these topics that are brought up that it's hard to claim one way or the other or to completely lock step in one side or the other. It doesn't really make sense to me. I saw something recently that was like, if you don't disagree with at least one to three things of your party, you're probably more in a cult. It's a good, it seems like a good metric. Yeah. Because there's no way, there's no way that you can be on board with every single thing and be a critical thinker at the same time. Doesn't seem possible or very unlikely. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting too, just like this idea of ego and how it plays into being attached to your ideas or being attached to your stances on things and how it's at the root of this, you almost have an ego problem. You have an ego problem with, yeah, sen the censorship is like at the basic an ego problem as well. It's one side thinks that their side's right and that another side shouldn't even be able to be express their opinion. It's like such an ego character trait. Yeah, it's a one-sided street right now. During the pandemic, we heard nonstop it's safe and effective and a lot of people were forced to choose between their jobs and getting a shot that is new technology that has not been tested. And now it's gotten to the point where it's luckily it's easing up a little bit, but if you want to have an open discussion about it for a long time, people are saying, you're going to kill my grandma because you just won't fall in line and get this, or you're going to do this or that. It's like a bunch of these fear-based things. You're going to misconstrue people. It's This is dangerous that you're talking about. Vaccines aren't all good. And I, I do believe that there's good vaccines out there. Do I believe that they do no harm at all? I can't say that I do. I, I think that we owe it to ourselves collectively to have that conversation because how heightened and intense it was over the past few years and how much it was forced down our throat. I think we all, being intellectually honest, I think we all owe it to each other. Whatever side of the aisle you're on this, we all owe it to each other to have an open discourse conversation and find out now that we have hindsight, where did we go wrong and where can we go next time? But it seems like that conversation is being stifled from the get-go. And that's what kind of confuses me too, is because it's not as intense emotionally as it was then. And you would think that would open it up to where a little bit more discourse would happen. And slowly but surely I'm seeing it. But unless if you have a name like Rogan or someone like that, it's hard to address these issues head on. And having the open discourse seems to be the only way to get through this thing because there, there's a lot of people that still feel one way or the other about it. But when you get down to it, we still don't have the data. The data is not being given to us to really see and to have full hindsight on was it truly safe and effective? Did it work? We don't have the data to show that. And if we did, I think that we could decipher through this and come to a common ground. And if I was wrong during it, I'm more than happy to admit it, but just let me see some numbers and that way we can all come together and have some closure on this. Yeah. And once again, circling back to how important 
podcast and these independent forms of conversation are like you're right in the sense of the converse conversations and being able to talk about it and have an open dialogue it's like with anything it's even you could apply that to a one-on-one relationship with someone if you're not having good communication and you're not expressing being able to express your opinions with each other and listening to the other opinion and finding a middle ground and an understanding it's like even at the most simple basic level of just a one-on-one relationship that just that doesn't work you can't really have a relationship without communication and so we're moving into this new era where the communication thing is is going to hopefully be more widespread because i think with everyone so many podcasts popping up and finding so many different viewpoints and different thoughts and you hear something on a podcast and then you take it and you go take it into your friend circle and you may that may open up a conversation and now you just have conversations on conversation versus 30 years ago when you might have had a couple main news channels and that was the that was your source get your little two minute segment in they're trying to cram it all in and make an impact before they got a commercial break you know it's yeah to this reality is too wild to be able to get all your data from that. Yeah, I feel like podcasts have helped me so much from developing my understanding on a lot of different issues. You're like hearing someone talk for hours on end, you're hearing at least two hour podcasts, like you can cut through the crap really quick. You can get a feel for someone, whether that's a podcast host or a guest, you can decipher pretty quick whether this person's full of crap or not. So I'm really excited to see this decentralized media coming up and to see how the collective really holds people accountable, whether they're politicians or just big questions we have of people coming up that own companies or, or whatever. Like there should be some accountability to, hey, go sit in front of that microphone. Let's hear you for a minute. Yeah. And as be- as people become more exposed to these different ideas and different, especially like positive input, positive podcasts and having that growth mindset then as the collective sits in that more then i think that they people will start putting more a greater accountability on what you're saying more accountability on these leaders these big organizations and it's no we're not really going to that doesn't fly anymore mm-hmm. and we're not going to have that and so if you have enough people saying that and on the same page then that is how you start to see some change. A beautiful world to be stepping into. It really is. And to have this form of medium is another reason why I'm excited to be able to talk about that kind of stuff and kind of the deeper thoughts that that we all have in this experience. This is a crazy experience we're having. Like we're just like plopped into and it's just like you turn three or five or four or whatever and just boop. The lights are on. It's just no, no real context for, for what you're here for. You figure it out along the way, yeah. <laughs> which is, yeah, is, can be scary and can also be beautiful and this d- divine play. And so it's like we hit on some of that other stuff of the more drama aspect of this divine play when you're talking about anytime you're talking about politics or just uh, just current events it feels sticky and it can feel just it's like everyone has an opinion about that kind of stuff but it's like you can strip it back and once again go back to the important things and not necessarily ignore all of that stuff but 
just yeah. don't get too caught up into it to where it because it takes over people for sure can. that's the pendulum we were talking about mm-hmm. and that's one thing i got to be aware about myself is because that when i talk about censorship and stuff like that i can feel the pendulum taking a strong swing on me because like i said i just don't see the other side of people asking for censorship it just mm-hmm. doesn't fundamentally make sense to me at all so i have to be really aware of that and with us being trying to go into Mr. Pronoy and the embodiment of that. I love visiting that, but I also think that we have a responsibility to address some of those stickier issues here and there. And just because this is the Mr. Pronoy podcast doesn't mean we have to have some overly optimistic outlook on everything either. But I think that we have a responsibility to go to both sides of the spectrum and to make that more beautiful world Sometimes you got to go and address the sticky situations. Yeah. You can have the, what is it? Almost the toxic positivity in a way to where it's almost, yeah, too, almost like like putting your head in the sand type thing. And there can be a more, yeah, it can be done. And you can address those sticky subjects, I think, in a glass half full way. There's, yeah, it's one, I think... It's one thing to go down the road and if if all, so like in, in ours example, if all we did was just talk about like the world is crap and it's just always going to be crap and it's just like people are against us. and But I think I like how we touch on it, but then... But since, but then you have podcasts and now you have this new world that now you have RFK and this new candidate. And so there's a way to hopefully navigate these stickier things in a Mr. Pronoia way type where you're not ignoring it, but you're also trying to see the silver lining in it. You're seeing the glass half full type thing. Cause that's yeah. one thing too, that I hate you just, even in everyday life, I hate when people like over complain without throwing out solutions. I don't know if just like any personas like that, where it's like, I get it. Yeah. There's stuff that needs fixed, but part of it's like thinking of the solutions and thinking of the, and talking about the solutions and talking about the different ways that looking at it, that might have a more positive twist. And so that's an interesting balance yeah i feel like solving those stickier sides requires the discourse and that requires reaching across the aisle not just you and i having a conversation but maybe with someone that looks at the world completely different than me and we may not agree on it completely but we bring our facts to each other and have an open mind don't have our heels dug into the ground and just meet each other halfway vulnerably i feel like that's where you start healing and you start understanding. And also, I think that as we do that more and more, we'll start to see that a lot of this, a lot of this bickering between each other is, again, peddled from above. And it's intentionally made to divide us. And, and in that division, it keeps us from looking at the true hand that's running this marionetta, who is really running the show. I don't think any of us really have a name for them, but I think we can all agree that whether it's Biden or Trump or whoever's in there, I don't think they're pulling all the strings. I think we can all agree on that. 
And I think it's become a lot more obvious with the president we have in right now that he's not making all the shots. So that's the beautiful thing that we've come around to. I, I talk about this pandemic and I talk about the guy in charge right now or not really being in charge. It's opened a lot of our eyes to really what's going on. It's made us question who's behind the curtain. It's got a lot of us wanting to peek and see who's behind the curtain. And we're having these conversations. So there's good in that alone, which is having this open discourse, because with that, you have understanding. Yeah, true, which is a powerful thing, because if you can have understanding, at least to compassion, and that's something, too, that I like to keep into perspective with when we talk about whoever they are that are like pulling the strings. It's okay. what is that? entity what does that group of people look like and if you really get to it a lot of it a lot of it is they're us in a position it's our they're in a position it's like the kind of the power like power corrupts people and so it's not to say that you or i if we were in those similar positions we would act the same way but I think that there's, if you're not, you take an average person that maybe isn't trying to grow themselves in some way and trying to be better. And you give that average person power, that human nature of like greed and this need for more, more, more. And this idea that I am separate from you within like all these things start making sense. It's like you have these, this, you have clearly like, there's people in power or that have the, whether it's like wealth or influence and to that person, like that power and influence is everything. And that, and so they're backed against a wall and they're, so that all their decisions now are going to be made that tries to keep that intact. Fear-based. It's fear-based, very like primitive. And so I think yeah, I think it's like more, it's like this subtle, it's a subtle hand that is o over us, but it's okay with that. It's then now, if you are in the position of being aware of that, now they, like you have the burden of having compassion because that person's ignorant and that person doesn't know and that person is cut off if someone's making these greedy decisions that are impacting millions or billions of people negatively that person or those people clearly don't see the, the connectivity between it all. They're, they're, they're clearly only seeing themselves yeah. and that's a miserable place to sit in. And so it's, yeah, it sucks to have to have compassion for someone like that may be causing a lot of pain for others, but that person is deeply, or the group of people are deeply pained themselves yeah. because they would have to be. And I can find that compassion for them, but there's also the other side of it that makes me want to rear back and backhand somebody. So <laughs> like anything, yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to find that middle ground. Like I see you in your ignorance and your greed, and I know you're probably, I know you're miserable. And that shows on how you look, but I also want to slap the shit out of you. Yeah, a kid that doesn't know. It's the same thing, dude. You have the same thing. It's like, kids just, ignorant and just doesn't know and like they're gonna put their they're gonna put their hand on a stove regardless because when you're in ignorance yeah you're making decisions that's gonna come back to you regardless like you're gonna feel it's almost like 
the universe is going to take care of them in time in due time and, oh, well, and so whether that's true or not i think it's a better way to a better framework to operate from our perspective and our point of view totally agree i remember i met up with you one day and we were just talking and i had told you that i was really upset my pendulum was swinging hard <laughs> i could see it i you're good about recognizing that in me and helping me ground that but my pendulum was swinging hard that day and I was, I don't remember what it was, but I was like, I was pretty upset about something. I remember telling you, I was like, man, I'm one more instance away from seeing it, packing up my shit, going up to DC and marching <laughs> the streets. Like I was furious. And you, I remember you telling me, you were like, in so many words, you were like, I feel you. But at the same time, I think you need to realize that what we are seeing is a manifestation of the collective up there. And these old decrepit people that are clinging for power and not moving out of the way. That is in a sense, our mentality of where we're at collectively, we're holding on to these old ideals that aren't working for us anymore. And they're decaying right in front of us. We're seeing it just like we're seeing the leaders right in front of us, decaying and losing their mind. And it, it, it struck a chord with me where I was like, damn, you're right. So to go up there, and throw eggs at the White House is essentially like smashing the mirror because I don't like the reflection I'm seeing in it. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. I forgot about that, but I'm yeah, glad you brought that up because that once again puts the power back in we the people and every single person and how it matters so like everyone listening to this matters so much. Rex, you matter so much. All of us matter so much. And so if we're all having this framework of being oppressed and which i'm not saying that was the framework you were taking earlier when you were talking about that but i'm just more so drawing to the fact that like even listeners listening to that it's yes there might be some powerful influence that is that we're up against but as we as individuals grow ourselves and work on ourselves and become more conscious become more aware become more compassionate you get enough people doing that, you have the tipping point, and then you start getting leaders that reflect that. And then that's when you start seeing, because like the people in power, the people in that, that have influence, they're, yeah, they're reflections of us as a collective. And so the president right now is us as a collective. And as we advance each, because the collective is only as great as each person is, added up together and so we all like with that mindset that's something we can all do is as we become better we inspire those around us to become better which causes a ripple effect which then we don't put up with it collectively and i think as we do that then it's almost like a bottom down approach or a bottom up approach versus because i think if you were just to go and just try to go and attack that top without fixing the fundamental consciousness issues, there's just going to be a new top. There's going to be a new person to take that place. And so it's, yeah, that, and then that's a problem with it. It's like wealth, wealth and power causes a lot of these issues. And so, yeah, kick the wealthy and the powerful out, but you're not changing the fundamental issue so now as soon as the average person then becomes powerful or wealthy they're going to act the same way that person you just kicked out is so until you start solving the spiritual part of it the unseen part of it then you're just 
you're, I think it's a beautiful analogy, the mirror analogy. You're just like trying to break a mirror and you may bust the mirror up. You may, but like you walk three feet and look at another mirror, you're going to see the same thing. Mm. You can't just keep busting the mirrors. You can't keep, you at, at some point, the power has to go back into our hands and, and it's a more, it's a, I think it's a, yeah, it's a more wholesome place to be in, to have that perspective on all of that, which is all true. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where you see the biggest change too. It reminds me of a quote that I saw recently. It says, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed. That's the only thing that ever has. Uh, where's that from? Her name's Margaret Mead. Ooh, not too clear, but I, I just saw I, the quote. I like that a lot. And I, and it reminds, I've seen, and I think we've brought this up before, but I've seen 10, the number 10 pops up a lot and in independent thought where you just like 10 people that are really on the same page, working together and thinking powerful ideas, which can change the whole world. Just 10. It really <laughs> that's not, can. That's not a lot. Yeah. And they, 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 there's a book that I read a few years back and it's called The Power of Eight. And apparently they found that you use the example of 10, but in that it's pretty much the same thing. And they use the number eight and they said, that's like the threshold we start crossing to where you get eight people on the same page and you can see profound changes just by you all aligning up on the same issue. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And that's, yeah. So like focusing on that, because everyone knows 10 people, everyone knows eight people and that keeps the ball back in our court and yeah and as as we grow and as we are focusing on the intentions we're putting out hopefully we start to instead of fixing the greed the people that are in the powerful and greedy positions we start fixing greed or we start fixing this quest for power and these fundamental character things that are very lower nature that are in us all and that we all, unless we're consciously working on it, like those are easy defaults yeah. to want more power or to want more money or to want more influence. So that's what we're up against. That's the battle that's going on in, 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 in within us all. You know, we talk about changing within and not busting up the mirror. One of the practices that I, I would say, this is a question, like what practices do you think would fall in line with that? And one example that I had that I did that I suspect may fall in line with that was, like I said, I've never felt hopeful about a candidate ever in my life. I have short of despised politicians just from what I've seen. And after seeing like the Hillary Trump and then the Trump Biden, it's like the two worst options. Like which one is not as bad? Take let's pick that one. At least he's not doing what he's doing. That's the only thing they run on is I'm not as bad as that guy. It really got me to a point where I was concerning politics, there was nihilism within me. I was just like, this is futile. We are getting nowhere. And it's just the better of two terrible options. So I took it upon myself to I've never seen a good candidate. What would that even look like? Like someone that I could look up to as a father figure in a sense that, again, going back to, wow, look how they carry themselves. Look how truthful and honest and integrity and 
they're in actually good shape. They look healthy. Like these are things I'd never seen before. This is before I had ever heard of RFK, but I, Maria and I both went to this spot and we visualized a candidate that held this high character that was admirable. And it wasn't about two or three months later, RFK, I'd never even heard of the dude before, comes out of nowhere and he catches my ear and I start resonating with what he's saying. And he's brought me to tears a couple of times just by hearing the truth. And like, he's saying the stuff that we need to hear. He's saying the quiet parts out loud for all of us to hear. And I'm not saying that had anything to do with that, him popping up. I'm not saying that me visualizing anything to do with that. You're not saying that you manifested RFK? I'm not saying that, but I'm also <laughs> not saying that I said that. <laughs> but I would like to think that 0.0001% of the population, which was me and Maria maybe, yeah. had a tiny little influence. Totally. It, or know? like you guys could have also been like that thought current that you two were tapped into. Yeah, there could have been a handful of other people tapped into right at right around that similar time. And that also could have linked up together. So your 0.001 could have could be much more. And which is interesting to think about this interconnectivity of everyone and everything. It's that could be how the universe does manifest things like that. It's if enough people are focusing on it, even if they're unrelated to each other, not even knowing that each other are thinking about it, then you're collectively creating that. And so, yeah, I mean, you could have and you probably did have a bigger hand than you would think. So you're telling me. So I'm telling you, Rex, <laughs> that you need to thank Maria, which you brought up Maria a few times. So like they might know that's Rex's girlfriend. Yeah, so, she's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, we'll have to get her on here because I know she has some stuff that she would like to say as well. It'd be cool to have yeah some of that feminine energy in here as well. Exactly. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, have a podcast with my wife Allie and Maria. That's right. Kind of, yeah, get them both on. We we'll, both on that thought current, dude. We'll get some hard <laughs> questions for them. So, Matt, I got a question for you. Hit me. What is one way that you look at the world different than the collective? It's tough to know. So, when you say like the collective, is is like. What is a way that you look at the world that no one else looks at it like this or goes against the grain goes of against the, the grain of the collective? Yeah, it's, it's a loaded question. And almost I've been wanting to ask you this because I've heard people ask this question before and I've always thought it was a really good one to get a feel for someone and how they can look at the world in a contrary way. And it says a lot about someone, the way that they stand out from the collective. But it almost didn't feel fair to ask you on here because it is such a loaded question but in the same note the way that i heard about the question was it was asked in an interview this high level ceo said that's what his favorite question to ask people in an interview is how do you look at the world differently than the collective mm -hmm. and i was like man that's a tough one to be asked on the spot but especially if you're wanting the job and you don't want to be a contrarian but how honest are you going to be even though you want the job right now something that comes to mind is really is just like the power of our thoughts like truly having an effect on reality i think that the collective may not realize that as much as it is true whereas i'm confident that like even the slightest even the unconscious thought impacts reality and ripples outward and so with that 
it's not just being conscious of my actions, but also being conscious of my thoughts because of that recognition that if I'm thinking it, then I'm essentially doing it in a lot of ways. And it's like to others, it may not feel like that, but to me, it feels like that. And I'll even notice like with Allie, my wife, there might be instances where, so say something comes up or something happens and I can feel that it like shut, it shuts me down and I can feel it in my mind that I'm like thinking negatively towards that interaction. And so there's been times where I've brought that up, like almost apologize for it. And she's like, oh, I didn't feel like you, I didn't feel like you were being negative towards it. But in my mind, it feels as real as if I was doing it verbally. And so applying that to anything and everything, it's like this idea that our thoughts are so impactful and our, like what we're thinking about all day long really matters, even the most minute thought. And so if we're thinking hundreds of thousands of thoughts per day, if there's not a watchman there that is really taking note of every single one, it's like you can't, like if you're, if the watchman is asleep, then that unconscious, and then it's an unconscious thought and then you're just doing it. But I think that unconscious thoughts even going to affect your experience in some way. And so I think that comes to mind. I know I just, I'm assuming just as many people as, as I've talked to, that doesn't seem to be as common. A lot of people will, yeah, just not think that their thoughts matter. And it's like, they, they do, yeah. they do. And that's not like a new, there's been esoteric books that have talked about this forever. And so it's not my discovery. Yeah, but, but it's, mm-hmm. still not a, it's still not a common accepted belief of the collective. So I'd say it's a great answer. And in fact, whenever I heard that, I, of course, asked myself that. And I think I came to the same conclusion, if I'm remembering right, that the power of the thoughts and you were saying even the subconscious have some effect, the, those subconscious thoughts have some effect and they almost have all the effect. Like our conscious ones have, have some, but I feel like there's so many subconscious thoughts that are like forming the milieu and the substrate of everything we see. And then we where our conscious thoughts that we're actually intentionally bringing up probably make up a smaller percentage than the subconscious ones would be my guess. Yeah. And that's the conscious ones. It all, it almost takes a, enough of the con- conscious ones and then they become the subconscious ones. And then, yeah, the subconscious ones then become the big movers. That's the truth. So it's, yeah, it's like what you focus on and intentionally make your conscious thoughts end up falling down and making that foundation that becomes your subconscious. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Interesting. Yeah. So it's like both becomes, that's interesting too, that of all the millions and billions of ways to answer that question that you had similar, similar things. Yeah. I was trying to think I had a second one since you stole my answer. <laughs> That's what you did. So you did a couple podcasts ago when we were asked to define what Mr. Pronoia means to us. Oh, you yeah. like said it spot on to how I would describe it. And then I was left to follow it up. You just said, amen. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much exactly that, dude. I agree. 
<laughs> to be fair, we did have ran over that topic a couple times, and I may have took some of your verbiage you as well. You crushed though. It was just like beautiful. Just yeah. almost didn't even want to. Didn't even want to taint it with the. You're like yeah, we're wrapping it up after that. So, <laughs> so then I will. Yeah, then if you think of that other thing, I would love to hear it because it is it is a good question, and it is does make you reflect and it's a good thing to be conscious of like you want to have something maybe that you think differently of you don't want to have everything be right online with the collective yeah i would say one way that i look at the world different than the collective would be that there's two sides of the playing field when you're working towards a goal and to not just focus on just practicing your craft or learning a new skill that there's an equal half of the playing field that you have to go to and visualize that and for instance one of the the better tips that i've learned to that i've implemented on watching like tutorials and learning different softwares is they say that you can watch and learn and read stuff for about two hours and then you it's kind of like the concentration decentration and they talk about you got like a two hour time span, which is the, what I would spend like watching tutorials. And then they say you need to go and sit in silence for 15 minutes. And they were just talking about in this book about how that essentially to give a visual to it just helps that information seep into the brain. But it, it may be creating new neuropathways. I really don't know the science behind it, but I do know that it helped me retain a lot of information whenever I would go and I would grind really hard for a couple of hours and then go and sit back and take all the stimulation away from me. And I think having the eyes closed is the big part of it, but just taking the stimulation away and just sitting in silence. And then it's like how you're learning a new skill, you're learning a new trait. It's how I was talking about you're trying to solve a problem. It's the same thing. You have these ideas start to come in about the tutorials that you watched and how to implement them in new ways. And, oh, maybe this software could work with that. And you're not even intentionally doing that. In fact, you're intentionally trying to focus on your breath, but inherently you get distracted from that and you have these thoughts come in. And I think that's the part of the magic within that 15 minutes of decentration is just allowing your brain to chew on different ideas. And also, like I said, maybe create those new neuropath waves or just retain the information in whatever way that is happening there. Yeah, that's beautiful. It gives your mind like a chance to organize what it just took in or almost it's like giving your body time to assimilate the food that you just fed it. It's like you, and that becomes a problem too. If you're just doing nothing but eating, never giving that time within your bodies, you'll just explode. Your body's not really getting any of the nutrients from it. Mm -hmm. It needs that time of assimilation. It needs that time of digestion. And I like that a lot because I can relate that too if I'm like reading too much without reflecting on it, without digesting what's being read. It's so easy just to blow through books without pulling back and like doing what you're saying where you're sitting and pondering over what you just took in. Yeah, especially with some spiritual based metaphysical books, whatever self-help books even stuff where you really got to focus and take in these bigger concepts for me i can read a fiction book so much faster i can blow through a fiction book but these non-fiction like i said self-help spiritual books or whatever i'm rereading 
a paragraph two or three times, it's a bigger concept for me. And especially with those, if I try to just keep cramming in information, I won't even remember what I read in the first half of the day because I'm so engulfed in this new concept that I'm trying to wrap my brain around that you almost start just slowly dissipating the old information on accident. It just slowly starts just melting away. Yeah, before it's like before you have an opportunity to know it. It's like it's just being stamped on your senses without moving past the senses into that place of knowing. And it's like that knowing that's that's when it really matters. And I know in the East, they have a practice where they'll take spiritual texts and they'll pick out like one line out of it and they'll just sit with it for half an hour. They'll just meditate on one line out of the Bhagavad Gita or something similar to, to really go down and unearth the layers within that as opposed to just blowing through it all and not really letting it seep in. I like that. Yeah, that's I've mentioned this transurfing book that I'm reading and it's meant to read over a period of 78 days. And I'll be honest, it's hard for me to just to read a couple paragraphs. Like usually I'm like, I love that, but I want some more. Like how much deeper can we go? But I have to be careful again, because at some point there's diminishing gains. So the deeper stuff like that. Yeah. So I've been having to pull back a little bit on, on this train surfing and just slow the pace down. But yeah. And it's interesting too, because like one, lots of times one line can contain the essence of the whole thing. If you dig deep enough in it, especially in those powerful, those those time-tested scriptures from different religions and whatnot, like each line is just packed so densely. It's almost like a, like this idea of a hologram. And are you familiar with how, what's interesting about holograms as far as how, I don't know, have you ever looked into holograms by chance? Slight, they're pretty confusing on how they work, but yeah. like mirrors are involved, right? Bouncing, yeah. Bouncing light off mirrors. Yeah, so it's there's mirrors and I, I don't even know as, as far as like how it works with the mirrors, I'm not as sure of, but what's interesting is I know that there's something within the hologram where if you take the hologram, if you take a piece of the hologram, like a little, the tiniest piece, the whole hologram is contained in that little piece of the hologram and can be remade by that small piece. Do you think it's because everything is, has its own frequency or vibration and that you're just finding out exactly what that frequency is? Could be. Yeah. I don't, I, yeah. That's the extent at which that's just the extent that I know. And I just remember reading that and thinking it was super fascinating that if you have a hologram of, of my hand and you just, of that hologram, if you just cut out like my little pinky nail, you could take that thing and re-put it under a different series of mirrors and lights and it would be able to replicate the whole hand all over again. How in the world? It's very fast. Yeah, That's more confusing than whenever I looked up how a hologram works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but there's something fascinating about it. And I think you can also draw some conclusions too that is, works that way with us. And this idea that like divinity was is within us. It's every one of us. You can in theory be like slicing if you took just one of us, but within one of us, the whole universe is contained. 
It's like that, was it Rumi? We are a drop in the ocean. We are also an ocean in the drop. Ah, yeah, I haven't heard that one, but that's spot on. Yeah, and super interesting. I have noticed that's a very common theme that stays pretty true and obvious is that life gives you what you put into it. Is that like law of reciprocation? Yeah. Okay. So there is a law that backs it up. Oh, I, I don't know. Reciprocity I don't, I, yeah. or something? It sounds like a law. I don't, that yeah, could have been made that it up. sound good. I think it'd be reciprocity, <laughs> but let's just call it that. It's a law. Maybe. <laughs> it is and it is now. Yeah. It's just like the, the law of karma in a way. It's like the classic, what's your what goes around comes around what you sow you shall reap yeah it's phrased in many different ways because then the ball's in your court put good out send good ripples out exactly you don't even have to worry about what's it's if you can believe in that law then you can stop you don't have to focus on the effects you don't have to get locked up on the the results and the outcomes and which is Hard to have peace of mind if you're so focused on the effects. That's a good point. But if you're just focused on putting good in, honestly, you'll be able to put, you'll be able to do it better because your attention's not going to be split like it is if you're doing something for a reward of some sort or or for an outcome to be a certain way. So, I like that. And I feel like that keeps your intentions pure. And to do that, I feel like you have to stay grounded in faith, which mm-hmm. is like a, I've, brings in Mr. Pronoia again, just staying grounded in that faith that the universe is working in the best interest. And just to do the next best step that you know possible and that you're going to be met at least halfway. Yeah, that's a good framework to operate. It's once again, whether it's true or not, the framework of operating is where the magic happens. And it's like, you're putting yourself in the best position for that. Um, Although I do believe it is true. <laughs> the, the, the Mr. Pronoia way. Yeah. I do feel like the universe, yeah, is it, because we are the universe. Like it, we are, if everything is connected and you believe that, then yeah, you are like a toenail of the universe yeah. or something. You're the ocean in a drop. Yeah. So naturally like that, the overarching grand entity is going to, conspire to help the piece of itself just like you would you're not going to go intentionally sludge your finger with a hammer like you're gonna you're gonna want what's best for your finger (laughs) yeah do you think there's anything to what people say about that before you come into this lifetime that you choose your own lessons or maybe choose your own hardships and maybe you even choose your high times as well I don't think that we choose, and I. This is something that I, that I've been subscribing to. That I maybe we do choose some of this. I don't think we choose everything. I meant more so like your the pinnacle high times and then the low times. It's a good question because I don't know if we if it would be something that we would choose before this lifetime, or if it'd be something that we would choose before all of the lifetimes. If if like you have this idea of reincarnation and having repeated births and if it's more of like a grandiose type of thing where it's zoomed out and a plan for your entire evolution from the primitive state to the pinnacle i see yeah so i don't know if it would be more like that or more on a micro scale and if it was on that macro scale maybe it would just be a 
maybe it would be more it would be like one being that is then choosing the highs and lows for everyone just like a, a director or a writer writes a story i feel like the i think i would more so lean into this experience being more of an art project of like you would write a movie and i think it's fascinating and interesting to draw these conclusions and looking at the stuff that we like which is we find fascinating fascination in stories and movies books epics and i think it's interesting that we write stories and we write movies and we write songs and stuff and so it would make sense that the grander intelligence that we are a part of operates in a similar way and so this we were probably in this master movie and the, the master movie has to have these highs and lows just like when you watch a really good movie there seems to be highs and lows and it yanks you around a little bit and it but it all plays into the grander scheme of things and so coming back yeah i think that it's more like that and to where we're almost this experience is almost like an idea in the god mind being played out or being simulated if you will yeah i like that a lot to me i feel like we think of these lifetimes as linear and that may be the case but i also don't think our brains are allowed to go that may be the case, but I don't think our brains are able to perceive any other time that's not linear to a clear point. Like I, I, at least for me, I don't fully intellectually grasp what time would look like if it were not linear. That's the only thing I've ever known. Same. But it's, it, we're talking about checking in before all of your lifetimes and planning out, or maybe checking in between lifetimes, and that. That may get that may be blurry from our perspective that we're at is like where that happens. But I do think that we choose some of these highs and these lows. My gut tells me that after every lifetime, we go back for a lifetime review. And whether that's just with our higher self or if we are an ocean in the drop, then we go back to the ocean and reconvene, have this life lesson laid out, figure out okay, you were too tied to greed or vanity or you were just a glutton or whatever. So we're going to, I'm going to choose this scenario for myself next time. Since I was so greedy, I'm going to be born into poverty or whatever the case is. I'm just throwing a hypothetical, of course, whatever out there. But uh, yeah, I do think, and that gives me a little bit of peace to, in a sense, to think that we would go back and choose some of these lessons for ourselves and have these benchmarks and these checkpoints that we're going to have to get to. And it was all for the greater good of our evolution of our soul. And it's almost, you have a hand in that. Yeah. Your, 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 I guess, drop, your drop vantage point, your ocean drop vantage point taken apart in that creative. And it's one of those things too, where it's, it's a beautiful, be a beautiful framework to operate in regardless that, you are being able to look back and make these decisions and go into this next one. All right. It's almost like strapping up to a video game, which is another fascinating correlation that you can draw into. It's like, there's something 
like when you're playing a video game, you are simulating yourself into another dimension through an avatar, through an avatar that you, that becomes you, like you, you lose yourself in that as you're playing. And so it's probably similar, a similar thing as if you follow the as above, so below, we're probably doing something where we are playing a video game, but the video game is like the goal, like how do you beat the game? It's to evolve your soul. And so just yeah. like a video game. Yeah, you do. We were talking about, and I, I think this is one of the ways that I may look at the world generally different is in a video game sense. I feel like our task, our level every day when we wake up from the get-go is to raise our vibration. And that means multiple different things to everyone, but we all have ways to raise our vibration, whether that's going and laying under a tree and listening to your favorite song and just watching the wind blow through the leaves. Or like I've mentioned before, for me, it's if I can do breath work right when I get up, that's a huge win for me because I know it's going to start momentum where I want to do that self-love and self-care through the rest of the day. There's multiple different ways to raise the vibration. The float tank's a great one for me and just spending time with friends and having these deep conversations always elevates me. But I think that's one of our main tasks is to consistently maintain a higher vibration since we are projecting our reality primarily through our thoughts. To maintain good thoughts, you need to be feeling good, which means you need to be vibrating higher, you need to be at a higher frequency or a higher octave, however you wanna however you wanna word this. But in a sense, it does feel somewhat like a video game. And you gotta, for the lack of a better word, be grinding and figure out ways to raise your vibration and call in things that are more optimal or more pleasurable and find a contentment in that. Yeah. I had something that I was going to reply. Give me a sec. You're good. I feel like whenever the higher that we vibrate to, I feel like that's whenever our manifesting power or just our co-creator ability really comes online. The higher we're tapped in, doing that visualization of seeing things happen around you that you're trying to call in, I feel like is going to make it happen that much more. And I feel like the time gap, generally speaking, I feel like when you're trying to manifest things, it depends on how quick it's coming in, whether it's, are you trying to manifest your dream house or are you trying to manifest some free tickets to a show that you want to go see this weekend or there's degrees on levels of things to manifest but i think beside that is one of the things with the time factor but another one is what level you're vibrating at where are you at on your evolution of consciousness and i feel like the higher you get on the evolution of consciousness or the higher octave that you are I feel like that time gap shrinks down to where you start to see a lot more synchronicities and serendipitous things, but also the things you intentionally want to bring in miraculously come into your life a lot more effortlessly. So do you think, I remembered where I was, what I was going to ask, do you think that 
So when you say higher vibrations, so would that, so would a high, is that basically like a scale? Because I, I know what you're saying, but I think it'd be cool to explore that a little bit. And then could you, would that, could you define that as like the highest vibration being like knowing love perfectly? Almost like knowing love so much to where you, you're living the law of love. Is that almost like the frequency is like, how much, how well do you know love? And it's almost like we start out not knowing it at all. And you start out as a very brute, primitive, selfish, separate entity. And then the evolution of the soul is this gradually going from not knowing it at all to knowing it completely. And circling back to this, that game, if this was a simulation, if this was a movie or if this was a video game, it's almost like you start the video game and you, yeah, you don't know love. And over time you're working towards and you're evolving to this ability to grasp what love is and what it means and what it's like to embody it. And to me, that's like higher vibrations is like, you're getting closer to that. It's like the highest vibration is love, but there's God or however you want to define that. And yeah. so, yeah, the higher vibrations, the more you're embodying that love. So yeah, the more in flow you're going to be with everything, then yeah, if you choose to manifest something, then it seems like it would, yeah, it would come easier. Yeah. I really like that. And I like that because we were talking about the word love and God are nearly synonymous and could be interchanged. And if I were to say what you were saying, it would nearly be spot on. But again, to sub out that word love for God, for me, one of the most powerful ways that I've found to raise my vibration is a touching back on Paul Selig's work. And he has a trilogy I'm pretty sure it's called realization. And the core teaching of that is realizing the divinity all around you, reclaiming your heaven on earth. And again, I say reclaiming because it's already here. You're just seeing it for what it is and you're claiming it. You are calling it for what it is that I am in heaven right now. And everyone that I see around me is of divinity in everything I see around me is of divinity and I don't know the science behind it, but it's palatable and you can feel it and you can see situations and things change around you. And I feel like that being palatable and what that is your vibration raising. And you can always tell when you feel different, if it's better then I would like to think that's raising of it. If you come out feeling better than whenever you went in, it tends to me to be a good rule of thumb for raising your vibration. Yeah, you can. it feels lighter. Mm -hmm. It feels lighter. With an open heart. Yeah, it's weird. I wonder if that's why, I wonder if that like enlightenment, like light has feels lighter. I that would make a lot of sense. Wonder. It could also just be like coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> but it's always fun to see yeah, certain words like that 
for sure. There's like, a lot of words like that. Yeah, just like, like human being. Just like we're just we're being. Yeah, there's yeah. no other task just to be uh, present. A hundred percent. And I, I love making those little correlations. That I, I also know people that will go too far with it, and they'll just this is like this for a reason. Yeah, it's, right. It's, it could also just be a coincidence, yeah. dude. It sounds it cool. Lines though. up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a human being. I like that one though, because it's. That's what we're doing. We're just being, bro. Yeah. That's what we're trying to do. Uh-huh. We forget a lot. Yeah. Take it a little too serious. We try sometimes. to do too much. Yeah. We try to be the doer. That seems to be a key to is like not taking life too seriously, which I am definitely guilty of sometimes. I, I admire my friends who have that more just like goofy and playful side. And I try to embody that more. But I try to embody that more. But also really taking these deep dives into stuff. And I... I need to find a little bit of a better balance and just being goofy and silly. hundred percent. It's like you almost have, yeah, it's, they work well together. It's, it's that balance with anything. That's why I really like going to like comedy shows. I don't know if, I've talked to you a little bit about, there's a local comedy sh- club here in it's in Lowell, Northwest Arkansas, super fun to just go and just laugh. And especially if you're, yeah, if you spend a lot of time digging into these deeper topics to, just laugh it it's like the classic like you're every no one makes it alive no one makes it out of here alive anyway yeah you gotta find some humor in that (laughs) (laughs) that's the truth (laughs) and when you look around at how ridiculous this whole world is it's pretty hilarious how beautifully ridiculous it is you can't help but laugh a little bit oh yeah (laughs) especially when you start taking the melodrama a little too serious and you zoom out and it's like the classic you remember that you're on a rock just like spinning through nothing like a little dust particle that's floating through your window it's like what but yet you're like you look out your window and that tree is just like perfectly still although yeah it's on a rock that's rotating thousands of miles an hour right it's also traveling hundreds of thousands of miles an hour around like a fireball and I've always found it funny that we don't even know how we got here per se. There's these hypotheses and we can't even all agree on whether it was evolution from apes or not at that point. But there's so many hypotheses of where we came from. And honestly, no one has any idea. <laughs> We're just here and you just show up. You're not given a handbook and you're just told get to work and just put your be. suit on and <laughs> yeah, just do it, man. And you forget it's good to have that perspective in that. Yeah, it helps you not take it so serious. Because how can you take something so ludicrous that, like, too serious? Yeah. Because at the end, what's your serious going to buy you? (laughs) I feel like that's a good way to tell if if you see a, a mystic or a monk or something like that. If they do have that very serious side of their life, I feel like that's how you can tell if someone is really tapped into source, if you will, is are they able to smile? Do they wear a smile a lot? Are they able to take themselves lightly and joke around? You know? Yeah, cool. It says a lot too if you if you're able to smile a lot too, like you're or even just you can just tell by how people's face rests. If, do they have a slight upturn in their mouth to their mouth, or is it more of a frown? And so we were talking about this, I think just like off the mic earlier about I don't remember might have been on the mic. We were talking about how just like you, you start to see your thoughts affecting your facial expressions and your mm-hmm. facial structure. Mm-hmm. And 
your thoughts, that's your thoughts creating you. Like you are creating yourself with your thoughts and you are every thought that you've ever had. Like that's what it looks like. <laughs> you right. are what that looks like. And they say that the body keeps count. The body, yeah. and we're talking billion, imagine hundreds of thousands of thoughts a day for a lifetime, for many lifetimes, if you believe in reincarnation. And we are that, like your body is that crystallized, which is just wild, but seems to ring true to me just because you can see it on the micro level of, if you look at people in their 80s or 90s, and just pay attention to their look at their face and see how you can see how their thoughts throughout their lifetime have been etched onto their face or just the way that their posture of someone who thinks depressing sad thought that's like that hunched over and that starts over time that just that becomes what they look like and so if you can see it on a micro scale of a life, you can almost draw that out. And yeah, it's wild to think about. It's, and that's why every thought matters. Yeah, <laughs> it makes sense. On it's That's almost on like the micro. And then we touched on the macro earlier with like our thoughts of the collective are forming what we see in the world around us, whether that be people in presidential power or just new pop songs coming out or whatever it is that keeps rising and keeps our culture. That's just the collective thoughts that form the culture. Yeah. Everything, even as I look around this room we're in and we've brought it up before is like everything that you see started out in the mind, someone's mind, like that computer monitor in front of you. That was a thought in someone's head. And now it's in physical reality. And that's a wild thing, especially yeah. when you start looking at something as complex as a cell phone or a computer that existed in someone's mind and it, it was manifest or just like the collective mind, the collective manifested this and that's happening to everything around us all the time. It's almost like, it's almost like the universe and everything, the physical universe that we see is like a giant thing of Play-Doh. And it's the mind is like the thing that's just molding this Play-Doh into a bunch of different things. And then the Play-Doh, and then you mush the Play-Doh together so you can make something new. And that's, that's symbolizing death in a way. It's like death of the physical form of that idea, but it's only to make something like you, you would have to in order to have this continuous thing. If you yeah. had a lump of Play-Doh and you wanted to, even if you were just playing with it yourself, you might make a horse and then after you're like, okay, that was cool. And then you crumble it back together. So it's like the death of that horse. Mm -hmm. And then you might make a, a tree out of it. And then, so you're manifesting that idea into physical form, but then now you say you want to make a ball. So you have to crush it down. And so the death of that tree. And it's so the same I, substance making up all of them. Yeah. And so yeah. I think you can draw that into the this physical world that we're in and the bodies the idea bodies that we're looking at whether you're looking at your monitor that's going to be going to disintegrate to dust in a couple hundred years or your body that's going to disintegrate to dust in a couple hundred years as well and it's only to be made into something new i like that 
Yeah, and it's all it's also inspiring to think of, about like this monitor or that cell phone the examples you gave that at some point those were super far-fetched ideas that I'm talking about the first monitor and the first cell phone that idea was probably like traveling to Mars in a sense it's unheard of and it seems like that's a it's a tall order but it's also inviting to take on these bigger ideas and okay wh- what ideas am I just pushing out because I don't know how to get to Mars right now what ideas are out there that could benefit the collective that I just thought are too big or I don't have the understanding how to do it because the cell phone and the monitor were definitely not made by one individual person that idea probably came to one person and then they gathered gathered a group of people that had the knowledge to make it all come together but it took that idea but it also took the confidence and believing in themselves to go and seek out these other people that could help them manifest this into form totally and then also you have the build-up too of it's like a cell phone started out as maybe just you got to think of like before the cell phone you had the landline before the landline you had I guess the landline was maybe the first, you had maybe a local system that maybe wasn't connected to the rest of the country and definitely not the rest of the world. And so you have this idea of a cell phone that didn't come until those other things had to come first. And so you have a lot of inventions that come along that then open up the possibility of other inventions. It's like Google, like the search engine. It's like, before the concept of a computer came along, how would you like Google? You couldn't even describe what Google is without that first invention. And so it's almost like collectively. So then the person that came up with Google, the, that invented Google, it's, are they really the inventor? Because it took the other stuff before that. So it's almost like a collective project that even extends beyond that individual project Mm -hmm. because that individual product, the cell phone could have never came to be without the landline phone. A landline phone could have never came to be without electricity. And they keep on, and it's humanity and consciousness is collectively building on itself. That is really interesting. I think that goes down the line with art and probably all types of innovation. In, a, in an even a grander sense, probably our evolution is just stemming one move off of the other. We're learning how to do this from watching another person. I was trying to remember that story about the one thousand thousandth ape. Have you remember? You've heard that story? Oh yeah, this idea that there's collective consciousness, where it's like you have the. Or are you talking about the one? So I don't the, know if we're, I want to, I'm not sure if we're talking about the same. Yeah, I'm reaching back in the archives here, but if I remember right, there's this story about the thousandth ape, and it, that may not even be the name of it. But essentially, the concept is that there was this little tribe or group of apes that lived on this island, and they had, I'm pretty sure it was coconuts and or it was some type of fruit and it was really sandy 
and uh, they didn't like to eat it because it had sand all over it. One of the apes learned how to wash off the coconut and get the sand off just by putting it in the water. Before long, all the apes on that island were doing it, and they don't know how, but the island across where they couldn't even visit, these other apes started doing it all of a sudden. So it was like this idea came out into the ether, and then all these apes started doing it. And it may be worldwide now, they all do it. I don't know where it ended up, but I think that's true with humans as well. And I know you and I have noticed a couple correlations there where we'll be talking about something and it will just pop up out of nowhere. And we were, I was listening to a podcast the other day and they brought up the topic pronoia and went pretty deep in it for about 10 or 15 minutes. And I don't know if I've ever heard a podcast on pronoia. I'm sure, I'm sure they're out there, but it is just interesting that we had just started this podcast and another one pops into the, pops out of the ether into our purview and helps deepen my understanding a little bit on the topic. Yeah. I feel like that happens too often for it not to be something. And even just like, even those are macro examples of just you thinking of something and then your friend saying it before you said it. And say, oh, I was just thinking of that, bro. As, yeah. Cause it's in the thought current. It's thoughts are things that is Allie. Oh, is she here? Yeah. Okay, sweet. Yeah. Okay. Is the back door unlocked? Yeah. You should tell her come on in. Yeah. You tried to lock it, but it didn't really. Okay, yeah. I was thinking they were barking for a while. So something. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. I mean, yeah, cut you no, off. It's there. just like the thoughts are things. There's a thought current. So, like, the idea, ideas are in the ether, and we all have access to them, and it's the you were talking about the thousandth monkey story and this idea of kind of a collective conscious consciousness and how the collective consciousness in my mind is like the god mind and it's it's cosmically its job is to create its job and so we are extensions of that and so we create and so just like we create for fun like when we're messing around with a painting or play-doh or a little kid building blocks or it's all that's that creative energy that is also happening on a macro level too which is fascinating yeah it really is and it makes you think like when you have a really good idea that comes to you out of the ether it's like you better act on it pretty quick because <laughs> there may have been five or ten other people that just got that exact same idea totally and there's not a doubt in my mind at this point just from what i've noticed i've just noticed it happen too often that and and i've heard other people talk about it as well and i've seen it play out and it's yeah if you feel if you get something you feel inspired by you gotta hop like strike while the iron's hot Mm -hmm. that's why i'm excited, excited with this podcast i feel like it's a good it's good that we are moving into it and we are hopping on it and doing the thing. We like are, everyone man. should do the thing. Yeah. Yeah, we really are. We're cranking them out. I think this is our fourth one in two weeks and looking forward to keeping the pace going. Yeah. Each one we do, I feel more and more inspired. It's, it's, it's an exciting thing. And this is probably a good time to wrap this one up. This is one of our longer ones. Yeah. I feel like we've hit such a wide range of topics in the best possible way. We really did, man. I'm looking forward to keeping it going with you and 
we got some guests that are scheduled. They're going to be coming up soon. I, I think that's going to add another interesting dynamic into all this. So we got a couple of guests with interesting topics. They're great friends, great people, and they got a depth of knowledge that we'd love to do. give them a platform to put some information out there for everyone. Absolutely. And like people that do come across this, you think of people we should meet or people that would make a good conversation. We would love for you to send us, yeah, send it our way. Cause I think that this is, has the opportunity to be really cool with adding, yeah, adding voices beyond ours. Or if you yourself think that you would make a good conversation, reach out and let's toy with some of those ideas. And, and but until then, we appreciate, especially on this one, if anyone out there has made it all the way through the end, thank you for your time. And we're hoping we can keep bringing some interesting topics that land with others as much as they're landing with us. Thank you, guys. We love you. All love. Until next time.